Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right. Amen. Anybody love Jesus tonight? Come on, let's give it up for the Lord. We love Jesus with all our heart, all our mind, and all our soul. Amen. Thank you so much for that incredible greeting. I want you just to look over at somebody and let them know you are in the right place at the right time. And if they act like they don't believe that, just get your, get your stuff, get up and move. And reposition yourself. Anybody ready for revival? Amen. It is my understanding that you are in revival. And I, I love your pastoral family. You know, the Bible talks about the fact that pastors are gifts to the body of Christ. That God has gifted the body of Christ with pastors to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And I know that you're like me. When I give someone a gift the more they seem to appreciate and value that gift, the more likely I am to bless them even more. And you have been given an incredible gift in Pastor Chad and Karen and their entire family. And I want you right now to let them know. No, no, you better get up on your feet and let these folks know you love them, that you appreciate them, that you don't take them for granted that you recognize they are a blessing from heaven situated in West Virginia for such a time as this. They could be anywhere in America, perhaps anywhere in the world, and God put them right here in your zip code. Take care of them, love them, honor them, bless them, give them double honor. That's scripture, somebody. And so I, I, I want you to know that they are valued in the kingdom of God. They are respected far and wide. And I, I've had the privilege, I've preached over 7,000 times in the last 20, 23 years. I've done this a time or two. And in all of my travels and all the different places that God has privileged me with the chance to stand, I have never seen their hospitality topped. They know how to take care of people, they know how to treat people, they make y'all look good like really, really good. And so thank you for the honor of being here. I love you. And man, what an incredible family. We was talking hoops backstage. Got a forward here that's mispositioned. Next year in Jesus' name, I prophesy going back to the guard spot. Let's just go, let's just believe that. All right. And man, I came on, I'm, I'm, I came on the wrong night. I want to see you on stage jamming. I mean, has this guy got the goods or has he got the goods? Come on. And I know there's a baby girl running around here somewhere that's got the keys to the building. <laughs> Amen. We love you. Thank you. I, uh, I'm great. My wife is, is here with me. She is the best thing that has ever happened to me uh, beyond saving grace. And uh, we are high school sweethearts. 
we met each other in the sophomore hallway of Russell County High School, and uh, we have been together going on <clears throat> a few years. And uh, we're getting ready in December to celebrate our 21st wedding anniversary. And uh, <laughs> and through her, God has given me incredible gifts of a 14-year-old son and a 16-year-old daughter. Uh, my son has uh, evidently got her DNA because he is a far better athlete than I ever was. <laughs> and he's not here tonight, so I can admit that publicly. And my daughter has her, my, has her mother's mind. Um, she is an unbelievable entrepreneur. She's 16 years old. She runs five businesses. She's employed by two different entities, actually three different entities at this point. And um, she, uh, she makes more money than I do. <laughs> and, uh, and so I figure she's my boss someday, so I take a lot of care of her. And um, that's, our, that's our family. Uh, I, wanna, I wanna share a message with you tonight. I, I was a little bit torn um, I, I really, even about six and a half hour drive here, uh, wrestled a little bit between two different messages. Uh, a few months ago, I really felt like the Lord gave me a word for the body of Christ as a whole. And I, I feel like in many ways, based on what I've understood about um, the pastors that you've had here already this week, and I mean, you guys have had, you've had some preachers up in this house. And... Uh, uh, I'm not comfortable being the closing act. I'd have much rather been the opening jester, court jester. But um, uh, I think some of that was touched on a little bit last night. You know, the Bible talks about he that has an ear to hear, let him hear. And, and thank God you, you, you have pastors and guys that have been here that have been in tune. And I think some of that's already been spoken. And there's something that's just also just been turning over in my heart that uh, I want to share with you. It's located, uh, an anchor text for it is going to be in Acts chapter 28, and it's verse number one, and it says this, and when they had escaped, they found out that the island was called Malta, and the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire, and they made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, he laid them on the fire, a viper came out of it because of the heat. It fastened on his hand, but he shook off the creature into the fire. He suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and they saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and they said, this guy must be a God. I want you to go back with me to verse number five and I want you... Uh, to notice the phraseology, it says, but he shook off the creature into the fire. We know that it was a snake, that it was a viper. Uh, he shook it off into the fire. Uh, just look over at somebody and tell them, shake it off. Mm. Now get a little more unction in your heart and look at the other person that you ignored the first time. And let them know you're not intimidated to tell them, shake it off. Father God, help me to preach, help me to teach, help me to deliver your word with an unction and an anointing that pushes hell back and brings heaven down. God, bind every spirit of hindrance, every spirit of distraction, and loose your people, God, into the next wave of what the Holy Spirit has for them. Let it be done in Jesus' name. And this church said... 
Amen. Uh, the year was 1998. Um, I remember standing in the tunnel, the captain of my basketball team. I was getting ready to run out onto the court of the Russell County Mighty Lakers for the very last time. I'm standing there. In the background, I hear, we will, we will. I'm not sure who we were going to rock. We were 4 and 19. But I ran out on the court, go through the preliminary warm-ups. It's time for tip-off. Our center tips the ball to one of our guards who then passes it ahead to me. I grab the ball, run in, shoot a layup. The other team, they get ready uh, to take the ball out of bounds. And right as they start to throw it into their point guard, I jump into the passing lane. I intercept the pass. I turn around, reverse layup, score. And one. Go to the free throw line, make the shot. This time they get the ball in bounds. They bring it down the court. They shoot. They miss. Our power forward gets the basketball. He passes ahead to the small forward who then hits a streaking Eric Gilbert once again towards the basket. I lay it up and in. And I don't know if you're keeping score or not, but that makes it Eric Gilbert seven. The Danville Knights zero. And at that point, the opposing coach called a timeout. Because in his scouting report, he had prepared for number 40, he had prepared for number 32, he had prepared for number 10, he had prepared for number 20, but nowhere on his whiteboard was number 14. <laughs> Eric Gilbert. And at that moment, my coach, he meets me uh, at the hash mark, and he grabs me by the jersey, and he shakes me, and he says, Gilbert, would you tell me why you haven't played like that for the last four years? I said, Coach, I was planning on going out with a bang. <laughs> you know, I believe that there are a lot of people that hell does not even have on its scouting report. <laughs> that the Lord has some special plans for if you will just make a decision. I intend to fully go out with a bang. And there's some of you that you thought, I'm not from the right zip code. I'm not from the right side of the tracks. I'm not networked correctly. I don't have the right education. I don't got enough money in the bank. And I came to tell you, if you will finally make a decision that you are ready to play the game, God will do something through you that coincidence cannot take the credit for, and it will leave the enemy literally scratching his head. Just tell somebody he's talking about me. Talking about me. You see, um, I don't believe that God intends for hell to be more populated than heaven. In fact, right now, there are more people alive on planet earth than, than have previously lived throughout all of history added together. That means that if there were to be an incredible awakening, an incredible revival, there is the potential for incredible numbers to be added to heaven's population. In order for that to happen, there's going to have to be revival. You know, there's an issue with that. 
Revival tends to only show up in atmospheres of unity. In fact, the greatest revival that maybe has ever been known in the history of mankind starts in a room called the upper room. And there's 120 people that are there. And scripture says that they are in one place and that they are in one mind. And then suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And fire filled the whole house. And they walked out of there and thousands of people began to be saved as an impending result of that move of God in their lives. And we could say that they were waiting on heaven because they stayed there for an extended period of time. But I noticed that the suddenly only comes directly after one place, one mind. In other words, unity. So is it possible that more than they were waiting on God, God was waiting on them? And is it possible that what God wants to do in regards to a last days or an end time revival is less associated with us waiting on him and more associated with him waiting on us? I'd like to... I'd like to take you somewhere in scripture this morning and in just a moment, we're gonna circle back to Acts chapter 28, but first I have to take you to a prophetic utterance from Jesus Christ. It's found in the book of Luke, it's chapter number 17, it's verse number one, it's written in red, Jesus spoke it. And he speaks it with an unction that was ageless. It wasn't just a word for the audience that was in front of him in that moment, it was a word for all of humanity. This is what Jesus said, it is impossible but that offenses will come. Impossible. But that offenses will come. Here's what that tells me. Somebody's going to make you mad. Somebody's going to hurt your feelings. Somebody's going to say something you don't like. Somebody's going to look at your kid cross-eyed funny. And it's going to run all the way through you. They're going to take your seat. They're going to take your parking spot. They're going to... Take your position. At some point, somebody is going to offend you because I didn't say that and you didn't say that. Jesus said that. And when Jesus said it, it is sure to come to pass. So what we now know is that every single one of us is going to wrestle with offense at some point. And that's a problem. Because if we are to experience revival, we must have unity. And offense is a direct contradiction to unity. There's something interesting about offense. John the Baptist, he shows up and he's preaching about a coming fire. And he says to those that are offended by his message, you are a generation of vipers. Jesus shows up and he's not just preaching about the fire, he is the fire. And to those that are offended by his message, he says, you are a generation of vipers. It is then that you arrive over in Acts chapter 28 and I think there is something metaphorical unfolding that can help every single one of our lives if we can get the revelation of it. Because there is a spirit loose and it is the spirit of offense and according to the context of scripture, it behaves and acts like a snake when it strikes. 
And so in Acts chapter 28, you see the Apostle Paul, he's doing the work of ministry, and, and as he's doing the ministry, he, he winds up shipwrecked, and as he is shipwrecked, he, he begins to, to try to facilitate an answer to the problem that these people are experiencing. They're, they're cold, they're, they're wet, they're trying to find shelter, and so they, they, they make the decision that they're going to try to start a fire. And so the Apostle Paul, he, he goes over and he gathers a bundle of sticks and he takes this bundle of sticks and he goes and, and Scripture says that as he, is, as he is putting it on the fire, that there is a snake, a viper, that comes out because of the heat and bites him. Now, I, I know the Apostle Paul is not your average choir boy. But you will never convince me that he would have picked up those sticks if he'd have known there was a snake in them. And here's the deal. Neither would you have. You wouldn't have picked up that marriage if you'd have known there was a snake in it. You wouldn't have went to that church if you'd have known there was a snake in it. Oh, you wouldn't have went to work at that place. And you wouldn't have hung out in that group of friends if you would have known there was a snake in it. But isn't that what makes offense so potent? Is that it comes from the places that you least expected. And so often it is not about what was said, it was about who said it. And you expected more from them? You never anticipated that they would be harboring a snake. That they would be housing a viper. Like you trusted them. You, 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 you did life with them. Did, did David? I mean, people sing songs about David. His hands are made to war. He has slayed tens of thousands. David took the head off of a giant. David did things and exploits in the realm of war that hardly anybody else in Scripture can even relate to. And yet David said, I could have stood it if it was not the man that I went and took sweet counsel in the presence of the Lord with. David was referencing a betrayal in his life probably through a man named Ahithophel, a man who spoke the oracles of God into his life, a man whom he, he prayed with, a man whom he worshipped with. And, and David said, I could have stood it if it had not come from a place I didn't expect it. Amen. And if you've ever been bit from a place you didn't expect, if you ever picked up something and found a snake in it and didn't anticipate it, you know the shock and the awe that is associated with the pain. And if you will reflect on the moments when you got bit, it was always when the fire was just starting to intensify. It was the moment when things were just starting to heat up. It was the moment when stuff was just getting hot, when the stuff you had been praying for, the stuff you had been believing for, the stuff that you had been anticipating and having spiritual ambition for for years to come. Now, right about the moment that the fire is getting the hottest, it was the fire that drove out the snake. And in the story of Acts chapter 28, you will notice that it did not strike or bite the folks who were sitting around enjoying the campfire. It, it didn't bite the people who were just taking in the scenery. 
It bit the one that was up working the fire. It bit the one that was up adding kindling and fueling to keep the fire going. And that is exactly why it happened to you. You were in that moment. It's heating up. It's intensifying. And you're a worker. Like you're somebody that really goes for it. You're somebody that's all in. You're somebody that fuels it. And then right about the mo- you got bit. You got bit. The Apostle Paul, he gets bit. And now what's he going to do? The scripture says that his response in this moment is that he just, as the snake bites him, it literally fastened onto him. Like the snake is stuck on him. Oh, we're going. <laughs> you ever met that offense? We're going to talk about it in just a moment. But he takes his hand, and, and Scripture says that he leans out over the fire. Come on, verse number five, and what did he do? It says that he shook it off. And it's in that moment that we actually get a revelation of how to deal with the fence. That Jesus has already told you, don't be surprised, you're going to get bit. And yes, it may be hidden, or you would have avoided the bite altogether. But now that you've been bit, your singular response is to shake it off and let the enemy know, I'm going to use the very thing that tried to keep me from the fire to now fuel the fire. I'm going to put this thing right where it belongs, in the fire, and I'm going to let it kindle revival instead of putting out revival, and I'm going to let the enemy know you bit the wrong one because I got an answer for this. I shake this kind of stuff off. Hey enemy you can't run me out of my church. Hey enemy you can't run me out of my small group. Hey enemy you can't run me out of my marriage. Why? Because I live in the era of shaking it off. Look at somebody and tell them shake it off. Come on say it with a little more unction. Look over somebody and tell them shake it off. The enemy don't know what to do with people who shake it off. Even in this, this, this scripture we just read, they start looking at this joke and they're like, man, he must be a God. Like people don't shake it off, people die from this. How many people have you seen have their spiritual journey die because of offense? A pastor in South Central Kentucky. Go to the middle of nowhere, take a left, 10 more miles. And all of us got a chip on our shoulder round about there. In fact, our church, like it's impossible in Russell Springs, Columbia, or Campbellsville, Kentucky to find somebody that hasn't got some kind of a past with Jesus. They got saved at VBS. They got saved at Grandma's Church. They got saved at the family homecoming. They... They got saved in the visitation booth at the local jail. Like we all, we all, we all got, we all got some kind of experience with Jesus back where I come from. Now, now I was driving up and I noticed there's a lot of similarities between Kentucky and West Virginia. And I noticed like there's about a hundred churches in our town of our county of 16,000 people. And I noticed several churches on the way up through here. You know, there's a reason for that. Somebody got bit. And they took their four and some more 
and went down the road and started an Ishmael and called it an Isaac. And, and so the thing about where I'm from, like you can't find hardly anybody that doesn't have some kind of a past experience with God. So the way that our church has grown is not necessarily through unchurched people, but through de-churched people. Because over and over again, we have discovered people that have been out of church for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 25 years. I have a man that sits on the front row every single Sunday at one of our locations, out of church for over 30 years. You know why? Because he got bit. And he didn't know how to shake it off and the result was that he lost years of his spiritual journey swelled up with the venom of bitterness. And that's what some of you can even relate to that aspect of it. But you have to understand, even right now, if you're not dealing with the fence, at some point you will get bit. And when that strike comes, you got to get the enemy at hello and let those fangs know you are not going to stick in my spirit. You are not going to stick in my soul. I'm one of those jokers like Paul. We shake it off. And hell has no answer for a church full of people who are willing to shake it off. So just look at somebody one more time and tell them, shake it off. Some of you, you need to get this verbiage into your life. And the next time you go to the, go to the car, after whatever it is that happened last, and your husband is mad, just tell him, shake it off. And the next time your student, your youth comes out of the youth ministry, and they're mad at this one or that one, just run, shake it off. And the next time you see Beulah look at you cross-eyed funny, look yourself in the mirror and remind yourself, shake it off. I'm not going to play with this. I'm not going to let this swell me up. I'm not going to let this take away the revival fire that God's trying to kindle in my life. And so this is something I can guarantee you from having experience and getting to serve the Lord. You are in a season of revival. You are in a season where things are heating up. You are in a season where the fire's getting a little hotter. And so you know what's going to happen? Probably the enemy is going to try to drive some snakes out and get somebody mad, get somebody upset, try to get somebody to start assassinating the character of someone else. But you, you, you are already on top of it because you understand not going to happen here. Bethesda is different. This house is different. I'm not going to be offended at my pastor. I'm not going to be offended at my church staff. I'm not going to be offended at the people who serve alongside of me. Devil, you can't make me mad. Jesus. Jesus already warned me. This is coming, and I got an answer for it. Shake it off. Come on, would you just help me preach one more time and look over at somebody and tell them, shake it off. <laughs> but now, I, I'm going to help you for a minute. Like, sometimes those things get sticky. You, you know what it is. Like, some of you, you've been offended at somebody, and, and you were doing your best to, like, shake And you just about had the fangs loose, and then you went down aisle seven at the grocery store, and there they were. And you were like, ah. 
You almost were through it. And they just had to put something else on Facebook. Oh, just almost, and they did everything but call your name. And you know exactly they were talking about you. And right about the time you were about to get loose, there come more venom. Am I making sense to anybody? Do, do I need to preach it further? Or y'all, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 so when, when you're not able to just out of reflex shake it off, there may be some moments where that you have to employ some practical application from scripture to get those fangs loose and sometimes a part of shaking it off can be choosing to actually communicate with the person in fact Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 through 17 says that if someone does sin against you if someone does offend you that you are supposed to go to the person and you are supposed to have a conversation with them privately now why is it that we talk to everybody but them why is it that we vomited on social media before we have a conversation with that individual? But why is it that we try to work it out with everybody else before we try to work it out with them? Because Jesus not only told you the offense was coming, he said, when it comes, I want you to talk to that person individually. And he says, and if that doesn't work, you may need to work through your church's structure. There need to be two to three. There need to be, go before the church. God, God will work that out with the structure as your senior pastor leads. But before you get into any of the two or the three or the whole church, all that stuff, you got to get this straight. It starts with you and the person. Not you over in a water cooler somewhere trying to defame that person so you can get everybody on your side before they learn about this little thing that's brewing between the two of you. Am I making sense to anybody? So sometimes you've got to communicate with the person. But, but I was a kid. I was about five years old. I was in my, my, my grandma's front yard, and uh, I was playing in the driveway. And, and I noticed down at, like near the road, what we would call a culvert, th there was a turtle. And I told my grandma, I was like, Granny, I want to play with the turtle. And my grandma said, Eric, you, you better not mess with that turtle. I was like, but Granny, I love turtles. I want to play with the turtle. And, and she, she finally she said, Eric, if you're going to play with that turtle, you better take this with you. And she handed me a broom. And about 30 seconds later, I came back up running from the road, dragging the broom behind me with snapping turtle attached. <laughs> and I don't know if you've noticed or not, but many of us, when we actually are willing to communicate, we come out of our shell like a snapping turtle, taking, taking hold of whatever is in front of us, Just shell up. Oh, I'm introverting. Oh, you're waiting to explode. And what happens is that when you do finally come out, like it comes out in an unholy way. And people got to get a broom to deal with you. There was so many follow-up things I wanted to say to that, and the Lord's not going to let me. So here's the deal. Our church, we started a long time ago. And uh, we started in a converted truck stop restaurant. And um, we were sitting on borrowed funeral home chairs. And Pastor Chad, all we had was a little old Casio piano we bought at Radio Shack. And a microphone we got at the same place. And my left foot was the drum. 
and my right foot was running sound, and my left hand was the bass, and my right hand was playing the piano. Beside me, my wife was trying to lead the congregation in song. To say we were desperate for help is an understatement, <laughs> considering that we only started with six people. And so anybody that came through the door, <laughs> we considered them leadership. And I, I, learned, I learned something about planting a church. Often the first people that you get are the ones that everybody else is trying to get rid of. And, and, and nobody gave me that memo. And so there was this lady that we, we gave her increasing amounts of responsibility because she just seemed so sharp and she just carried herself so well and we were just so thankful for her arrival. And about six months into her tenure with us, I go to my mailbox and I discovered there's a letter from her and I thought, oh, how wonderful. She has taken the time to affirm her past her pastors. And so I, I went into the, the, the kitchen and, and I opened up the letter and, and I take it out and, and, and I, I began to read. Um, I was barely through the first of 18 pages when I began to realize that she was not really fond of my approach to pastoral leadership. And uh, she had detailed, she had chronologically laid out for me all of my failures, all of my mistakes, and all of the ways in which that I had offended her. And I was doing okay until I got to the last page and she started in on my wife. And in the postscript, she asked that I call and set up an appointment at my earliest opportunity. And I was happy to oblige so I called her and we set up the appointment and I'm waiting for her to arrive and, and, and Mandy had come in and, and, and we're in our, our, our little cracker box office about the size of a closet and uh, my, 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 my little desk there, it, 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 we had gotten it like some giveaway and we tried to spray paint it black and like true story, like anything you would lay on it would stick to it. And I had all 18 pages laid out in front of me and, and I was taking a highlighter and I was beginning to mark very clearly where she was wrong and I was about to prove I was right. And then the Lord whispered to me, Eric, she's not mad at you. And I showed God the letter. <laughs> the Lord said, Eric, she's broken hearted. And today, I'm going to use you to heal that broken heart. And that lady, that lady came in and she met with Mandy and I. I am not dramatizing this. She sat down on the edge of that seat. She leaned forward and her finger was locked and loaded. And she picked up verbally right where she had left off in written form. And about five minutes in, she stopped to catch a breath. And I said, ma'am, ma'am, if I could interrupt. You're not mad at me. And she was as shocked to hear that as I was. <laughs> and we began to try and work through the issues that she was dealing with. And we began to work to try to heal her broken heart. And, and, and we were deep into that when she finally looked at me and she said, does this mean you're not going to yell at me? I said, no, honey, we're, we're not going to yell at you. And she said, well, the last nine churches I've been at in three years, when I write my letter, the preacher yells at me. I said, nine churches in three years? 
Look at somebody and tell them, shake it off. Because there are a lot of folks that the reason they can't find consistency and become planted in the house of the Lord so that they would begin to flourish is because they don't know how to shake it off. And the moment that the spirit of offense begins to stick its fangs into their soul, they immediately move on somewhere else thinking they're going to run from the snake, never understanding that they're dragging the snake with them. You do understand some people run through marriages like that. Some people run through careers like that. Run through relationships like that. Just never understanding that they're dragging the snake with them. One more time, tell somebody, shake it off. Shake it, shake it off. And I get it. Some of you are saying, well, you know, man, I, I've tried to stay in the right spirit and I've tried to follow the biblical instructions for communication and, and, and it's still just not working. Like, what do I do next? I'll give you just one more thing. If you're going to shake it off in a biblical way and communication alone has not solved it, you are going to have to choose to follow the model of Jesus Christ and forgive them. I know you were expecting something perhaps more profound, perhaps even more revelatory, but the thing that we learn from Jesus is that hurt is a reflex, but offense is a choice. And Jesus Christ himself, when they are crucifying him, Roman executioners trained to get the most amount of pain, to bring the most amount of torture, to do the things in the way that it would cause the most hor horrific experience. Jesus looks up at his father and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It sure looked like they knew what they were doing. It sure appeared as though they were trained to do exactly what they were doing. And it looked like they knew what they were doing when they grabbed your heart out of your chest and threw it on the floor in front of you and stomped it for good measure. But scripture teaches us that sometimes people don't get the spiritual gravity of the thing that the enemy is using them to be a part of because you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You wrestle against principalities and powers of the air. And sometimes there is a personality that is hosting spiritual darkness and doesn't even understand that they themselves have become a snake. And sometimes you just got to make the decision, Father, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to let it go. And so I'm, I'm going to invite them just to begin to, to, to play some music behind me. And I, I'll give you just a little bit of my story. You see, from the time that I was five until the time that I was eight, I was victimized. And I was the product of someone's perversion and so within me there was a, a hate that developed I was offended and if I may say so myself I thought I had the right to be offended and so by the time I was a senior in high school my coach brought me in upon graduation he sat me down and he pulled out an eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper and he wrote on it certificate of achievement Pushed it across the desk. He said, congratulations, Gilbert. You've been kicked out of more practices than anybody in the history of the school. You know what the issue was? I was living like a victim instead of a victor. And I thought throwing a punch every time somebody looked at me cross-eyed funny is what made me a man. 
And I didn't understand that often when I was living in my tantrums and I was living in my victimization and I was living in my fits of rage and wrath, that so many times I was preventing the opportunity for God to teach me how to shake off something that should have killed me. I don't know who I'm trying to help, but there, there's, a, there's a reality in Acts 28. This wasn't just any kind of snake. It's the kind of snake people don't survive. It's the kind of bite that if you get bit, there is no anti-venom, you die. And what I've learned is that there are certain elements of offense that when they strike, there is no anti-venom. There, there is no way in fleshly ability to ever overcome it. But when you begin to step into the realization of the power of God, and you begin to recognize, wait a second, this thing bit me for a reason. It bit me because there's something God wants to fuel in my life that this enemy is keeping me from, in, from further fueling. And so I'm not going to let this thing keep me from this fire being fueled. In fact, hey enemy, I'm going to let this fuel the fire. I'm going to... And so, so I remember by the time I was 18 years old, I was so out of control with it that I literally broke my best friend's jaw for virtually no reason. So mad, so angry, so hurt on the inside, so wounded. But one day driving to college, mile marker 82 on the Cumberland Parkway, the Lord dealt with me in a way that all I could do was pull the car over on the side of the road. And there was a lot that God did in me that day through a Damascus Road experience, but one of those was he taught me how to grab that snake by its fangs, pull it out and shake it off and find victory in spite of the victimization. And the impending result of that in my life is that I began to realize I could become that preacher at 18 that God had called me to when I was 12 but I didn't understand how to surrender to it or to, to, to give into it because of all this stuff that I had inside of me in regards to venom that was swelling me up, swelling me up, puffing me up. You ever seen a snake bite victim? My, my wife's family, they ran a landscaping business got mulch delivered by the truckloads, semi-truckloads. One day, one of those big loads of mulch brought with it a five-foot timber rattler. We had a beautiful Labrador retriever. He walked by as that snake had just coiled up. It, just, it struck him. And when it struck him, it bit him on his hind leg. We called vets. We did everything we needed to do. There was no real solution. And that leg began to swell, and it began to swell, and it began to swell. And then one day, the flesh couldn't hold the venom any longer. And it bust. And, and all of that poison began to run out 
and left that dog's leg in a mangled form. And I came to tell somebody tonight, I don't know whether it was somebody cutting you off in traffic and you can't get over it. Or it was somebody telling you that they don't like the way you look. Or it's somebody that dates all the way back to your childhood that always looked down at you. Or the spouse that betrayed you. Or the individual that victimized you. If you don't let God run his course with that snake and that venom, at some point, your flesh will not be able to hold it anymore. And something's going to bust. You do not have to settle for living a disfigured and mangled life. You can live in such a way that people look at you and they'll never be able to guess that three years of your childhood was spent at the hands of someone's perversion. There'll be a victory that comes into your life and people will look at you and say, how did they survive that? How did they overcome that the way that they did? Listen, we live where I live in Kentucky. I think perhaps you guys here in West Virginia can occasionally relate. We got entire nations that entire to try to offend us. But you know, God's in the business of taking those who are willing to shake off the vipers of offense and using them to confound the wise with the fires of revival. And I believe with all of my heart that God wants to do something in Bethesda Church in Lewisburg, West Virginia, that the whole world itself will not be able to explain and that some of the nation's greatest churches will have to turn their eyes to and say, I don't know how, I don't see how it was possible, it doesn't make sense to me, it doesn't add up, but God takes the foolish things that confound the wise, and He takes the weak things that confound the mighty. That if He can find a group of people who will shake it off and welcome unity and refuse a victim's mentality, He's going to bring a victory to these hills, these hollers, and these mountains that coincidence will not take the credit for. And drug addicts will walk through the door and be set free in a moment's notice. And divorced marriages. One will come in one door and one will come in the other door and they'll run to the center aisle and be brought back together in the name of Jesus. That there will be young people that God will raise up to speak to the north, the south, the east, and the west. The oracles of God with an articulation that no seminary will ever be able to take the credit for. I came to tell somebody, shake it off. Shake it off. Shake it off. I'm going to ask you right now, if you're struggling and you say, hey, I got man, that I, there's a place in my life the spirit of offense has bit me, and I, I've been letting that snake's fangs hang on and hold on. I want you to throw your hand up right now. Right now. You say, don't, listen, one of the ways that that snake hangs around is through pride. Because we actually start to take pride in how long we've been offended. And we'll brag to people about how long it's been since we spoke to that person. How many times we've declined their phone calls? Pride. Pride's got to go tonight. And humility is going to be another aspect of you being able to shake this thing off. So right now in front of God and everybody, if you would say, I've been harboring a snake. I, I, there's, there's things in my spirit. Come on, throw that hand up in the air. Throw that hand up in the air. Father God, right now, I ask you, God, in the name of Jesus, that there is going to be something sweep over this congregation 
that God will last for years to come. That God, this would be a mile marker moment in the life of this church and in the life of many of these individuals. That God, they have settled for living an offended lifestyle. And tonight they are making a choice that even when the offense comes, it will not hinder the unity that you desire to bring Holy Spirit unction and utterance to. Father God, begin the miracle right now. Begin the miracle right now. Begin the miracle right now. Father God, in the name of Jesus. If you got your hand in the air or you had your hand in the air, I want you to come and I want you just to fill this altar space. Just come and stand in this altar space. If there's a bunch of you, that's fine. It's just the next step in humility. It's the next step in humility of saying, I'm getting rid of this snake tonight. There was a young girl. One time I was dealing with the spirit of offense and was talking about how it had to be overcome and God wanted to do something in that individual's life, in every individual's life. And I finished the message and there was this young girl. She, she walked up to me. And she said, how, how could I ever forgive? How, how could I ever move on from this after what he did to me? And she pointed across the altar. And there was a man in that church that was not only her uncle, but a deacon. And he had been a part of her story. And she was irate and hurt. And we prayed with her, we, we talked with her, with her pastors, we, we, we had a time of ministry, and I watched that girl weep, I watched her cry, and I watched something break off of her that, honestly, few times in my life I've ever seen. Ten years later, I was seated in a church building at a, at a prayer meeting, and there's a lady that walks up to me and my wife, and she grabs us, and she begins to hug us, and she says, I, I just want to say thank you. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry, what... what she said, it was years ago, and that night, that night you, you helped me to believe that I could be set free from a fence, regardless from how deep it might have been in my life. And she said, and today, I'm married, I got kids, I'm leading worship at my church, and nothing has ever been the same from that night forward. And she had this beautiful glow, she had this beautiful countenance, and you would never have known what she had been through by looking at her. And I just think that's going to be somebody's story tonight. You're not going to leave here the way you came. They're going to begin to lift up worship. I'm going to ask you just to take, just lift your hands before God. I'm going to move through this congregation, and I'm going to just pray for some people and just believe God. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, there's people under the sound of my voice that the betrayal has been deep. And God, the betrayal, it's just been some situations, Lord, that some of them don't even want to talk about publicly. Some of them, God, they're dealing with stuff they've never told anybody about. God, there's others of them that it's like kids that have betrayed them, kids that came through their womb that they raised and they gave their life to. And now, God, the kid has hurt them. It's ripped their heart out. God, there's women in this room that have been betrayed by men. And God, it hurts so bad that their husband would do what he did. God, there's men in this room that have been hurt and wounded. So hard to believe, God, what their wife did. But Lord, I believe that there is a spiritual freedom that's coming in this house tonight. God, let it come in the name of Jesus. God, I speak freedom over her life. That, Father, in the name of Jesus, from the top of her head to the soles of her feet, that there's going to be a purifying anointing. That, God, there will be a destruction of the yoke. I speak, God, that the venom, 
the venom that the enemy sent to kill her and God even people around her would have thought that she would never have even been able to survive she herself God has laid in the bed and thought I don't know how much more I can take I don't know how much more pain I can handle I speak Father God that there is a new joy that is coming to her life in the name of Jesus a joy that will be unspeakable and a joy that will be indescribable and a joy Father God that will overflow every aspect of her life Father God in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus what the enemy meant for evil God's gonna use it for good in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus God renew her mind give her a brand new perspective let her not see it through the perspective of hell let her see it through the perspective of heaven let her see father God Mm. thank you father God when it seems too deep that the fangs so deep it would feel like shake it off I tried and it wouldn't go Father God, I just believe right now that the Holy Spirit is going to get a hold of her soul. Father God, in the name of Jesus and the fangs, they're not going to hold. And the venom, the venom, it's not going to have its effect anymore. Father God, set her free. And when she looks at the puncture wounds in her soul, she'll be able to testify. Only God could have done that. Father God, in the name of Jesus, freedom, Father God. Freedom, Father God, in the name of Jesus. Freedom, Father God. Freedom, Father God. Yeah. test is going to be a testimony and you are done selling for the live hell and I know it sounds cliche but it's truth over your life the mess is going to be a message in the name of Jesus and I pray father you put her into enemy held territory enemy held territory God, in the name of Jesus. Not another day is a victim in the name of Jesus. Not another day is a victim. 
you got Jesus and that changes everything. He's the author and he's the finisher. He started the story and he's going to finish the story. And he's going to set the enemy at your table and make him watch you. I want you to stretch your hands towards her and just, just pray as the Lord would lead you right now. Like, I mean, just just let, let the Holy Spirit lead you. Lord God, I thank you that you are doing something deep, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father.
I, I don't I don't know why it keeps coming back to me. I, I can't I can't escape it. I just keep I keep feel like I hear hearing that like even when I'm trying to pray for other people, I'm getting distracted by it. I just feel like that there's somebody that is like offended by a child. Like there's your your kid, you love them with all your heart. And whatever has happened, it's been hard to not blame them for the hurt that you feel. And, and I, I'm going to ask just all over the room that we could just lift our hands a moment. And I'm going to give you, you, you the opportunity just to blend in right now for a minute. And just lift your hands with these folks. God, I believe there's somebody that is going to be set free from the pain that only a child can bring. And that, Father God, they're going to be able to love that child unconditionally. And that, God, I pray that through just their ability to model heaven's love that just keeps coming, that, Lord, there's going to be a reconciliation that will transpire in a profound and prolific way that will be undeniable and that, God, it will mark the rest of their lives. And Father God, I thank you that simultaneously, not only are you turning the heart of a father and a mother to a child, but God, there are, there are grown children in this room that have been hurt bad by parents. Pain, God, that only a parent can cause. And I ask you, Lord, that anything that's been harbored, anything that's been held on to, that, Lord, there is going to be a freedom that was not able to come through communication. And even though, God, there's been moments of trying to forgive, tonight there's a Holy Spirit anointing, God, on their ability to shake it off. And, God, they're going to move forward, and that thing, God, that could have stopped the fire is going to fuel it. God, I ask you in the name of Jesus. Do it, God. Do it, God. Do it, God. Do it, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.